This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, we're continuing to dive into our vault to revisit some of our most popular episodes of the year. For today's vault revisit, we're going back to episode 181, What Millennial Moms Need, with Jill Koziel, founder and CEO of Motherly. This episode resonated strongly with so many of you, and it's easy to understand why. We're mothering in an unprecedented time. We have more pressures as mothers than ever before, often expected to be on all the time, to sacrifice every bit of our energy and mental space for our children, and to work as if we don't have children and mother as if we don't have jobs. Each year, Motherly conducts its annual State of Motherhood survey to determine what moms are really struggling with, what they need the most, and what concerns and challenges they face. In today's throwback episode, Jill and I unpack the 2023 State of Motherhood survey. We discuss the great resignation, the factors that are driving moms out of the workforce, including the lack of affordable and accessible childcare. We also talk about the impact of the uncertain economy on moms and the need for more support in household labor. And we discuss what moms can start to do to advocate for themselves and those around them on a small and large scale. But before diving in, I'd like to take a moment to share Jill's endorsement of my upcoming book, Releasing the Motherload, dropping on April 9th. Erica offers a refreshing and much-needed take in Releasing the Motherload, helping women and mothers understand the deep cultural origins of their burnout, how change starts inside, and what actionable steps they can take to nurture, not lose themselves in motherhood. Thank you so much, Jill, for this glowing recommendation. It means the world that you see the value and the support that comes through this book. And if you're listening and would like to pre-order your copy of the book, head to ericajossa.com. That's E-R-I-C-A-D-J-O-S-S-A.com. Now let's hear my conversation with Jill Koziel, founder and CEO of Motherly. Going back to work after having a baby can be tough. There's the endless to-do list of choosing childcare, preparing bottles, and navigating pickups and drop-offs. But there's also an emotional load that feels even harder to cope with. We might experience separation anxiety, pressure to do it all with ease, and of course, the infamous mom guilt. It can seem impossible to navigate our emotions and feel confident at work and at home. But with the right strategies, we can learn to manage our emotions, reframe our thoughts, and cope with the transition back to work. I created a mini course called Emotionally Preparing to Return to Work After Baby to give you the tools you need. In this course, we'll cover how to identify negative thinking traps, how to reframe and rewrite our thoughts about going back to work, how to manage working mom guilt, how to cope with separation anxiety, and how to let go of the pressure to be and do it all at home and at work. Each lesson is short, action-focused, and easily digestible. It's created with busy moms in mind. It's time to take control of your emotions and approach the transition to work with confidence. To learn more, head to momwell.com slash shop. That's momwell.com slash shop. Welcome to the MomWell Podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Josta. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. 
we'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Jill, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I saw the survey release and I got digging into it and I had to reach out and set up a chat and have you here. I'm really, really excited. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. I'm excited to be here. I'm always so curious about the person behind the platform before we maybe get into the survey because you are a co-founder of Motherly and the CEO And I feel like I'm so interested in your story and how the platform came to be because Motherly is a brand that doesn't necessarily have a face like some of the other influencer platforms, I would say. So I'm curious how you found yourself in this digital marketing space. Yes. So that was actually very intentional. We are not a personality-driven brand. We wanted to create a brand that has generational longevity and that was not too tied to an individual's personality. We also wanted to make sure that every mom could see themselves in Motherly and that it wasn't just you know the Jill show or the Liz show, my co-founder. Mm-hmm. So we founded Motherly because it didn't exist. I mean, candidly, Liz Kennedy, my co-founder, and I are both millennial mothers We didn't know each other very well, actually. We came together to build Motherly. Oh, interesting. I had been a serial entrepreneur. I had invented, patented, and brought to market a baby goods product. And Liz had been an an editor at the Washington Post. And our lives had been kind of parallel for many years. Both of our husbands went to the Naval Academy and served in the military and the Navy. We both went to Georgetown, her for undergrad, me for graduate school. And then both of our husbands ended up in California at Stanford for business school. And so we met there and we had children almost the exact same age at the time. And so we met briefly a couple different times. And as they say, when in Rome, you know, when in Silicon Valley, you start to get it a little more entrepreneurial. And so Mm. Liz was feeling that way and specifically around the parenting space, feeling as though what was available out there in the world really didn't resonate with her. And so like any good entrepreneur, she just made some phone calls to try to connect dots and get smart fast. And she landed up chatting with me and When we started talking about it, I went back to my old consulting days of looking at drivers of change and why did something like motherly need to exist? And could it really have generational longevity? Mm -hmm. Was there a big enough white space, a large enough total addressable market to make it happen? And the answer is yes, for three reasons. One, millennials were the first generation to be digitally native when they became parents. Mm -hmm. And so that changed their expectations. And, you know, we founded motherly back in 2015 and a lot of legacy platforms that were not really meeting the millennial, you know, now Gen Z's expectations from authenticity, but also just, you know, bite-sized contents, mobile friendly, those types of things. Mm -hmm. Also, millennials are the first generation in history in which women are more educated than men. Mm. And that really shifts the dynamics in the family. It also means that women are having children later in life, they have fully formed identities by the time they become parents and they're often working as well. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to create a space that was woman-centered and expert-driven as a result of that. And that was really next-gen and digitally native. And then lastly, we saw that the demographic trends were happening where that, what happened in 2018, is the majority of births in the US at least are now of minorities. And so this generation is raising an incredibly diverse generation. And Mm -hmm. so we wanted to build a platform and a brand that would be 
again, evidence-based, expert-driven, woman-centered, and also non-judgmental and empowering this woman to make the decisions that's best for her and her family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I feel like everybody has encountered motherly content. Like, I don't think you exist on the internet without coming across motherly content, right? Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. And it is interesting because as I was preparing for this interview and, I, and I've read the survey and we've probably even created infographics around the survey on a like, number of occasions over the years and things. And as I was digging in, I really also saw this flair for like advocacy and push towards equality. And that stood out in some of the stats and things that we'll get to from this year's survey, maybe some themes that have emerged. But I really appreciated and see that there's also a, like a push for some sustained change in this motherhood sort of context and role as well. You really nailed it, Erica, because we founded Motherly in part, as I said, because it didn't exist, but also because mothers are being asked to nurture in a society that doesn't nurture them back. And mm. mothers is the foundation of society really need more structural support. They need it at the cultural societal level that actually is like having conversations in the home, at the corporate level with their employers, but then also at the governmental level. This is, again, foundational. Caregiving is foundational to society. And we really need to find ways to advocate more for moms. And it's why we make our annual, now sixth annual, State of Motherhood survey data open source. Hmm. We see ourselves as being the amplifier for her, the megaphone, and the voice for this generation to help mothers and their allies really advocate for systemic change. Yeah. And it's really telling as it went through the pandemic and kind of semi coming out the other side, but maybe preparing for a recession, like kind of feeling like unstable water still. But it's telling to see the worries and the themes that emerge from the survey. And it really feels like a bit of a pulse, like take on pulse of the waves that they're riding right now. Absolutely. And that was truly the rationale behind why we did this. So prior to any work in the parenting space, I was a strategy consultant in the intelligence community and defense contracting world. So did a lot of work in the Washington, D.C. area with a lot of three-letter agencies and the such. And did a lot of surveying work then. Mm. And again, looking at drivers of change, but a lot of them emerged by first looking at trends. And we wanted to be able to have this holistic look to see, uh, you know, get a baseline for motherhood and see how it was evolving and changing over time. Now in 2015, I could not have predicted the pandemic, but it has been because we've had this great data for a longer time now, it's helping us to see the dramatic shifts that happened to mothers, the disproportionate burden that mothers carried mm -hmm. during the pandemic mm -hmm. and how they're starting to come out of it. We've got real data around what's changed for moms from the great resignation, from the burdens that they're carrying at home, all of the different things that have shifted over time with them. And I think one thing that, well, I know one thing that differentiates us and our data and that was really important to me was that this wasn't just a poll or a survey. And while those are interesting, they're not statistically significant. And so we truly at Motherly have the best data on today's mothers because we've been doing it over time. And because every year we do the hard work of taking the 10 to 20,000 responses that we get, and then we weight that to the U.S. Census demographic data. And so this is truly representative of what's happening in the world for this generation of mothers. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll go through some of the statistics that stood out for 2023. And then I'm also curious to see maybe how those have shifted or what some of the trends have been. Particularly, I noticed some themes and hubs kind of under different areas. So working moms, for example, 
you mentioned the great resignation being something that happened, uh, started, I guess, really in the pandemic when these demands came on on moms and we were juggling all the things. And it seems to be continuing, the survey says. Yes, really fascinating. So in 2023's data, and we do this survey in like the end of January, beginning of February timeframe. And then we take a little while to do all the analysis and to make sure that we're doing it appropriately before we release it around Mother's Day. So as of that January, February time, when people were taking the survey, we found that this year in 2023, the rate of stay-at-home moms almost doubled from the year before. It went from 15% to 25% in 2023. Now that's super telling, but the context matters that 24, 25% is actually what it had historically been. And so the interesting nugget here is that last year in 2022, that was actually the anomaly. And we believe when you dig kind of deep into the why for some of this data is that there was more flexibility in 2022. Hmm. Employers were more open to people coming back to work and working remotely in flexible environments. And as there has been this push to returning to the office and less flexibility and a returning back to the norm for at least corporate America, we are seeing moms opt back out and saying like, I can't Hmm. do both of these things. Because in part, we saw that even moms that are working, you know, they're still bearing actually more household responsibilities than they did even during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so we are still seeing that moms are increasingly like opting out of the workforce, that they're finding it unsustainable for them. And when we looked at the why behind that and what they needed, it was affordable childcare, like number one, and then flexibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was it in the sixties? 67% of mothers spend over $1,000 per month on childcare. Absolutely. That's like nearly a mortgage payment from when like I first got married. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a lot of money to be spending. And I'm a mom of three children who were all in daycare at the same age. So take that and multiply it across, you know, households, children, multiple children. It's a lot. And there's, you know, something that I became aware of in the last year too, is at least in, you know, this is a US centric study um, at this time, we're hoping to expand it more internationally, but the US tax code was really not written thinking about mothers in the workforce and caregivers in the workforce. And the fact that workers need to, they get their salary, they pay their taxes, and it's post-tax dollars that we have to pay for our child care for. Mm. As though it's not seen as a requirement to have child care in order to work. Right. But in reality, it absolutely is. And I think that people saw that during the pandemic, frankly. We saw how incredibly challenging it is to work in caregiving at the exact same time. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell. 
and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. I can see how the policies, as you said, the flexibility around working from home have been expiring. It's like they're coming due now and everyone's having to return back to work or reintegrate. So it's settling back to that norm, as you said, where that flexibility really enabled women who wanted to remain in the workforce to be able to do so. And we've seen that at Motherly. Because Liz and I were both military spouses, we saw that a lot of times, you know, typically women were having to shift and change their jobs and their careers when their spouses were relocated from military service. And so since 2015, we've been a fully remote workforce. And that not only allows women and mothers who are, you can imagine, a lot of our workforce to be able to live wherever they want to live and to be able to move and not, you know, disrupt their career, but it also saves commute time. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was in my consulting and had a young child, I was spending, you know, over two hours a day commuting. And that is time lost with your family Mm -hmm. and a way to really integrate your work life. And, you know, as people are starting to return back to that, it's not to say that every job can be done remotely and that there's not value to having in-person connections. But we also saw the cost and the disproportionate cost that working mothers were bearing during this time. Mm -hmm. And the real need for flexibility during this time, more than any other stage of motherhood, I would say, in those really like little years you talk about being able to remain at home. I was just going through a course and preparing content on like a pumping system for when you return back to work and how you're going to go through all the logistics of pumping and keeping milk and washing bottles and keeping things clean and being able to work remotely and pop something back in your fridge and have your necessities around you provides a whole other level of like a stress relief. It like relieves a lot of burden. It's more of the mental load motherhood. And yeah. you know what I've been saying and trying to share, one of the things you're you going to mention around trends that we've seen that have changed over the years is that in 2022, again, when stay-at-home mothers was actually a little lower than in the past, we saw that 47% of today's mothers, again, statistically significant, weighted to US census data, 47% of mothers were the primary breadwinner in their family, earning 50% yeah. or more. And this goes back to the fact that you know millennial mothers and Gen Z as well, are more educated than their male counterparts. 
And so it is no longer a nice to have to figure out how to recruit, retain, and support working mothers in your workforce. It is an economic imperative. You need your most Mm. educated cohort. And so we have to find ways to solve these problems or it's going to impact our global competitiveness. Yeah. I've been writing about this lately because we assume that we carry the bulk of the invisible labor and the household labor because, you know, we're protecting our partner's career or their time or their income earning potential. But what we actually see is that even when women are the breadwinner, they actually take on more responsibility in the home, often out of mom guilt and things like that to show up even more because there is this real expectation to show up 100% in both of our roles, right? So it doesn't naturally recalibrate as one would assume that it should or would, right? So we've got more educated breadwinners outperforming in in certain roles and still yet shouldering all of the care work, household work. And the data shows that. And as I said, it's even increasing. This year, I noticed that it went up 2%, didn't it? People who reported being primarily responsible. I almost fell over. How in the world, when we're coming off of the pandemic where we were shouldering like, everything. Is it that partner is now out of the home and it's sort of defaulting back? Like, So I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a background on, on why we believe that, you know, when you kind of triangulate all the data, why we believe this is happening. So one, this generation is trying to create a different kind of family structure and different kind of equity inside their families than which we were raised in most cases, mm-hmm. first generalization. Mm-hmm. That is hard to do. And that's why it is important to recognize and to acknowledge the partnerships and how that's shifting. And like to give credit where credit is due. My father probably changed two diapers in his entire life, right? Like my husband is far more of an engaged, you know, equal partner for me. And that is important to note and to call out, not to constantly congratulate, but to acknowledge that it is hard to try to go and do something different than the norms that you saw, you know, when you were being raised. And so I think that this generation prior to the pandemic was making massive strides in this area. But what happens when we are faced with a crisis is we return to what's comfortable. And what is comfortable? We default back to survival. Exactly. And so we go back to gender norms in many cases. And that is what we saw happen during the pandemic because that's what made everyone comfortable. And so now we are clawing our ways back. And so women are maybe, you know, starting in some ways to get, you know, back into the workforce or go back and lean into that in some ways, but they haven't shook off some of those extra responsibilities that they took on, and if anything, to your point, are taking on more. And it requires constant resetting conversations with partners. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about the statistics in this, because there was a whole section in breakdown of like the household and division of labor in this year's survey, because this is such a pressing topic for mothers, obviously. So I can't believe it increased by 2% from last year. Like that makes no sense to me. Like on one hand it does, but like it should be going in the opposite direction, you know? It should. But if you think about it, we did see an increase in stay-at-home mothers as well year over year. And Mm. so we saw a 10% increase in stay-at-home mothers and then a 2% increase in the mothers that were doing that. And so it will take another year or so to see how that shakes out. And I Mm -hmm. I consider 2023 into 2022 almost a transition year, frankly, into this. I see that. Mm -hmm. It's challenging when the data shows all of the challenges, but I think there are still a lot of opportunities in this. We are, as an example moms, while they maybe are taking on more responsibilities right now, we are still seeing them use their voice in a different way and understand how to value their own care in a different way. Mm. And one of the ways that we see them doing that is by prioritizing their mental health, by acknowledging and seeking therapy. 
while that is seen as a negative that 46% of moms are in or currently seeking therapy, to me, that's a positive, frankly, that we're, you know, we're, we're overcoming stigmas around therapy and mental health. And we're actually saying, I need this. And so they're using their voice to do that. They're also getting more sleep. Amazing. Um, You know, sleep is so foundational to health. And so they're getting more sleep and they're prioritizing that over things that in the past, maybe they would have thought of as self-care. They're prioritizing that over going out with friends or with their partners. So while there is this negative and, you know, concerning sides that mothers are continuing to take on more and more of the load of parenting, they're also finding ways to prioritize themselves in ways that I think are going to give like a long-term tail to greater health and the ability to thrive. Mm-hmm. That's why MomWell was founded as a company to break down the barriers of help-seeking behaviors for mom because it's a lot of shame. Like if I seek therapy, if I admit that I'm struggling in motherhood, I'm failing in my role in some way. I've showed up and I'm I'm flawed and I can't do this. And you know, that narrative that plays out. And so to see the barriers breaking down around, especially in that postpartum new mom period where we so badly want to be perfect and we want to get it right to see that we're able to shift what self-care truly looks like and to see mental health care and taking care of our our mental health via therapy or however else, uh, sleep and setting boundaries as a form of self-care, these like true, actual, restorative things for ourselves is really encouraging to see. Yeah, I agree with you. I totally agree. And you can look, you can cut motherly's data for your audience specifically by mothers who have children, you know, less than one as an example too, and start to see how the answers are a little different. And, you know, I have nine and 11 year old daughters now, things do get easier. I mean, it's bigger kids, bigger problems, as they say, but the physicality and the needs of motherhood really do evolve and change over time. And so you can see there being some shifts and changes, like sleep, certainly, postpartum timeframe, early motherhood, all of that, like you are in the trenches, right? And so I think Mm -hmm. it's helpful to see, you can look around the corner and know, like there's light, there's sleep at the end of this tunnel as well. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was some common sort of themes and reasons why they were seeking therapy I had noted. So 32% anxiety, 12% depression, 16% 16% relationship, you know, relational challenges, and 15% postpartum challenges, which I thought was telling. I think like anxiety is a common one often. Also, right now, there was some stats that emerged about spending mm-hmm. and sort of bracing potentially for uh, recessions. Yes. So anxiety and, and recession may go hand in hand as well. Yeah. Talk to us about the financial data there. Yes. So eight out of 10 mothers are worried about a recession and 71% are already making cuts in this area. Mm. And it's interesting to see where they're making those cuts. They're making it on the areas where, you know, going out, spending money on themselves. Moms are known to, again, you know, cut for themselves first and their children last. And the data supports that this year. It's concerning because the media has a really, and social media too, have like a very large role to play in people's perception of the economy. And we've been hearing for months, 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 recessions coming, recessions coming, recessions coming. And it almost becomes a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So if moms Mm. who are making 85% of the purchase decisions in a family are getting anxious and worried about finances and say that they're cutting back, that just puts the brakes on the economy even faster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it starts with, as you said, themselves first, usually, right? And then like, I feel like we're willing to put our child's needs first in a lot of ways. I'm curious to know if further what those things might be for moms, but I don't know if you've got 
details on that? Yeah, we went we went in through the data. I don't have it in front of me right this moment, but it was I, the top of it was like spending money, disposable income, spending money on themselves for things, slowing down savings, perhaps also. And and there, there's really a lot of competing priorities when it comes to savings right now. Like, should we slow down on the spending in this area, but not our children's activities? We want to still support the children's activities. Mm, and right. That was my thinking. Right. Yeah. But, but we also want to save. Do we save for our 401ks? Do we save for our children's education? You know, it's this retirement or our children's future that seems to be an area that people are wrestling. Or do we save for a home or, you know, other things that feel more immediate needs for our family? And so there's a lot of competition for mom to be thinking about where to spend and to save. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what I've been seeing with the community is a lot of like this revenge summering, I guess is what it was called when we first came out of COVID, but this real want and desire for experiences and enrichment in the form of activities and vacations and times together. So when you sort of scroll social or you're chit-chatting with friends, it doesn't really look like people are really cutting back potentially because all you're seeing is a lot of this you know, immersive, trying to go out and create these memories and experiences. Because frankly, for what, like three years, four years, we didn't get to really go and do some of that. So I think that it can be confusing at times to hear that this is sort of how people are tightening the purse strings a bit in sort of the background, but on the forefront, it doesn't always appear that way, I would say. Well, I'd say we always have to remind ourselves that's the highlight reel, um, right? When when we're looking, Um, but also, yes, what we have seen for millennial and now for Gen Z also is people are prioritizing experiences, even before the pandemic, hmm. prioritizing experiences over things and over stuff. And so you'll see spending decrease on people buying, you know, the things, the stuff, right? And being a bit more minimalist there and prioritizing being outdoors, going and traveling and having those enrichment experiences and those shared experiences with their families. And again, for their children, there's so many benefits to travel and to having those different types of experiences. And it's why we see, certainly during COVID, also because it was outdoors, but national parks, there has been such an increase and a rise in the people that are visiting national parks. And a lot of that has been led by millennials and now in the Gen Z um, generations who are just saying like, I don't want the McMansions. Mm-hmm. I'm not signing up for that. I've seen what's happened in the financial crisis. I've seen what happens with all of that. I want experiences. I want to value these things. And so they're showing that and how they're spending their money. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Asherina Reem's psyched mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create All The Rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com rage and save with code RAGE20. That's momwell.com rage, code RAGE20. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And what did moms note as their biggest concern, like upcoming concern in 2023? So for the first time, we saw mental health as the biggest worry that was keeping moms Mm. up at night. That is a shift. It's typically been financial. And so even though we know that eight out of 10 moms are concerned about a recession and making these preemptive cuts, it was still mental health that's keeping her up at night. It's her own mental Mm. health. It's her own anxiety and her own challenges. It's her children's mental health and seeking therapy for them and their partners. And one of the things that's you know concerning, and I think we've heard this in the headlines over the last couple of years, is that we are faced with a mental health challenge for our children right now. That's the next you know epidemic that we're faced with. And there is an access to care challenge right now. There's a supply yeah. challenge when it comes to healthcare professionals in the mental health space. And so moms are waiting a while to get therapy for themselves or for their children. And you can imagine, I mean, how maddening and and help that what does keep one up at night. If you know your child needs help and you can't get them that help, it's incredibly concerning and it's absolutely keeping moms up at night. Mm-hmm. And in the Canadian system here, we found that because the system was so overrun in COVID, mm-hmm. that a lot of even like physical health, like mental health and physical health things went untreated and went unattended to because it wasn't seen as sort of critical or top of the line, like priority. Mm -hmm. And so some of the ripple effects sort of we've been seeing after the fact are coming to find and coming to explore, maybe taking your child for the first time. You've questioned maybe milestones or development or Mm -hmm. things along the way, but there just wasn't the priority to do it or the accessibility, as you said, or however, or they weren't socializing and in peer groups enough to sort of know or see have some of those comparisons um, in friends and things. So there's been a lot of parents asking how to seek assessments and just to sort of know and have some reassurance that coming out of the pandemic, their children's development and their mental health is going to recover or rebound. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen like the Department of Health and Human Services and different pharmaceutical companies coming to Motherly and saying, can you please help educate and remind parents that, you know, we understand there's the COVID vaccine and that's like one line, but there are these other things that are critical to our society that we do get our kids vaccinated for these other things. And there was a big you know, step back from all of that during COVID where kids were missing their annual checkups or check-ins if there wasn't an acute problems, but those well visits are really, really important. And so, yes, we're seeing that here in the US as well. Yeah. I'm really curious now if there's anything that we didn't touch on in terms of like trends that you've seen. Because this started in, was it 2018 that the survey started? So it's been six years, was that right? Six years now, yes, six years. Yeah, so how about trends or things that have emerged that you've been keeping an eye on? You know, I mean, moms are burnt out. That's, you know, been something that we've seen over time. It gets a little better for a while. COVID obviously really exacerbated that. We're seeing also something I think that's really interesting is here in the US at least, and I find this to be, really wonderful, honestly, is that moms are an incredible voting block, okay? They have a ton of purchase power, but we're also a big voting block. And I don't think we talk about that enough, that when moms unite, real change can happen. And mm. I, I want to 
fallout, something that we've seen over the years is that moms are not aligned on everything. And that's super important to note, right? Like that not um, very multidimensional, unique lived experiences in motherhood, but there are things that they're really aligned on and that they're willing to cross political lines for candidates that will support these things. And that is mm. affordable childcare, paid family leave. These are areas where moms are, you know, 80% plus aligned on this and are saying that they're willing to cross party lines to see that happen. And so I think that mothers are foundational to society. And if we could use this data as a way to galvanize mothers Mm, to advocate mm -hmm. for change and to unite, you know, I give a talk occasionally to different, you know, parenting groups called the United State of Motherhood. There is so much more that aligns us. And when we come together, we can really, really make magic happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting how not in the U.S., Uh, So sort of from the outside, how some of these sort of basic fundamental things it feels like become so politically charged. But when we can see beyond some of these political stances, as you're saying, and really like what systems and policies need to be in place to support our moms Mm -hmm. and what is it that they really need? Like you're saying, the fact that it's the after tax dollars going to daycare, for example, like it can start with such little policies and things to start somewhere, to get the ball rolling, you know? Totally agree with you. Yeah. And without it being so political. It's disheartening. It really is that we have such polarization in politics and that in so many ways, motherhood is inherently political at so many different levels. And at Motherly, I have always said, you know, co-founder and CEO, I, in many ways, am the brand, even though it's not personality driven, like I'm the driver and the custodian of the brand. And it's been really important to me to not contribute to the polarization in the US or elsewhere. I would rather shut motherly down, frankly, than to feel as though we were creating a further divide Mm. amongst mothers and amongst just people in general. And so we are very careful to, while we will educate and inform and we will share data on things so that people can make the decisions that best for their family, we're only really going to stand tall and advocate for things where there is a mass kind of alignment around. So where 75, 80% or more our mothers are aligned on something, those are the things I'm going to scream from the rooftop, right? Yeah. Because there are certainly a lot of other political topics that mothers are not aligned on, and that's okay. But let's yeah. move forward in the areas where we are aligned and let's use our voice and our power and our purchase power and all of that to make those things happen. And it's another thing that I really aligned with in Motherly's Mission One, really digging deep into the various surveys and prep, is being mother-centered. And that's one of the things that I really feel here is I am mother-centered. Like all the other things sort of fall by the wayside. And we move with moms, as you said, in the things that they are vocalizing that they need and center and anchor them in the conversation when so often the conversation is everywhere else but here, right? You nailed it. And I love that you can see this. A brand is ultimately a belief system and that you know that you've really done it when people are telling you your values back to you as to what they see in brand. And this is the biggest differentiator for motherly. We are not baby-centered. We are not just about the bump. We are woman-centered. We are mother-centered. And it's so, so critical because she's so often forgotten along the way. Mm-hmm. And again, she's mm-hmm. the core. She's the architect of health for her family. If she's not thriving, her family and her community cannot thrive. And so we must be here to support her and to really enable her to live her best life as a woman and as a mother. And you know, we will, of course, what mom cares most about is baby. 
Of course. Mm -hmm. But when we're helping guide her through a four-month sleep regression, as an example, we are there to acknowledge there's a very tired mother on the side of that, you know, as part of that. And these are very small shifts that you make in how you have the conversation, but just helping mom feel seen and heard and supported goes a really long way. Yeah. To bring it back to her needs as well as baby's needs, to see her in the room as well as baby in the struggles that they're going through. And I love that that's the values and that what you're anchored in. So in thinking about wrapping up, I'm curious, you know, like what mothers really need. And I think about this as like a, as a community, like as a mom well community. And we think about the mothers around us and things like, what are mothers really longing for? What are they really needing these days? So I'll just tell you like visceral response to that first. And then I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. extend, expand upon it a little. But the first thing I was, was like empathy, support, and empowerment. Like that is what mom needs. She needs to feel empathy and to feel seen in that and to know that she's not alone which gets to the support, right? Then she needs support. She needs to be informed. She needs to be inspired, right? Um, and then ultimately empowered, not to be told this is the only way to do it. This is the right way to do it. But to be told that like to trust her own instincts and the superpowers that she gains through motherhood and to feel empowered to lead with that, right? And so we can educate, we can inform, we can inspire. But really what's important is that we're empowering her so that she can continue or, or increasingly trust herself along the way a little more tactical, the other thing that I believe that moms need and that motherly is going to be leaning more into over the next year is she needs holistic solutions. Hmm. There are a lot of predictable milestones and challenges and opportunities along the motherhood journey from, as we say, from conception to college at motherly is where we ultimately want to be serving. And we're providing the content and the community. And now we will be layering more of the commerce because so often there is a product need associated with the milestone or the challenge that she's being faced with. And we are all bombarded with information. And, you know, Motherly provides this expert-driven, credible solutions for her in a service-driven way around the content and the community support. And we want to take that one step further and also be offering more of the products so that it's like having like your pediatrician be your best friend, right? Your expert, you know, friend be your best friend. And don't you also want to know what like, car seat she recommends or um, and other products. And so we're hoping that we can take away a little bit of that mental load and the overwhelm that happens around product curation as well. And we can empower her to make those decisions in a faster, more personalized way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I think about the community and the things that they vocalize to me in stories and DMs is anything that can help to get us to a decision faster, mm -hmm. anything that can help to alleviate the invisible load and the million impossible decisions I have to make today mm -hmm. over all of the things and just simplify it yeah. is welcome and is needed because we are so inundated with all the things, often conflicting, often not always the most helpful. So the fact that it's anchored in sort of expert yeah. driven as well as you had said is such a crucial piece because there's a lot out there and streamlining it and simplifying it is really necessary, helpful. Well, and again, we're being asked to layer on all of these roles without additional support, right? At home and the work by the government. And so we have to find ways to your point, like to just like cut to the chase, right? On like, what do I need to know and get them from credible sources. And so, you know, we're all super excited about how AI and, you know, artificial intelligence can help support and maybe lighten this mental load over time. 
But there's also a lot of concerns around like the credibility of a lot of that, right? And so Mm. our hope is that Motherly will be constantly like leading and there to be like fact checking and ensuring that all of those things are there, that we're serving, continuing to serve moms with that expert driven, credible evidence-based information. But again, not in a directive way, but in an empowering way. Mm-hmm. Like serving things up and they can still make their decision for themselves. It's just sort of truncated all of the research. I often will joke like, if we're going to scroll and research something, can we set a five-minute timer? And by the end of that five-minute timer, can we make a decision and move on? Like, I don't know the amount of hours I put into researching like a stroller, for example, as a first-time mom. And this is just precious time that we don't get back and that like seeps and sinks its claws into our leisure time and our self-care time. So it's a true need to, I don't know, alleviate some of this load in in whatever way we can. Yeah. And there's so much doubt that moms have because we're doing this for the first time, right? Many of us like along the way. And by the time we do it again, things have changed. And so this is the thing that we want to do better than anything else in our lives. Mm -hmm. When you like come down to like the root of who we are, we all want to be the best possible mom that we can be for our children. And so Mm. the stakes feel really high, especially in those early days. Every decision feels so high and so intense. And so if we can eliminate some of the doubt and just tell her like, you've got like three great choices. Here they are. Go for it. Like, what do you want to do? Then you can pick the one that's personalized for your needs because you're an expert in your family and your needs. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. let's not boil the ocean, as they say, with every single option and put that on mom to have to navigate herself. Mm -hmm. And like, ultimately, if they've made it onto the market, there is no wrong option in the sense that they're all safe. They're all okay for your baby. Like it really comes down to needs and preferences at that point. And yeah, not drowning in all of those is so helpful. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for giving moms a collective voice. It's so needed in the state of motherhood as it exists right now. And so enjoyed having you here, Jill. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And thank you, Erica, for everything that you and mom well do also. It's so critically important that mom can find resources and just thank you for putting what you do out into the world to support mothers too. For those who'd like to read more of the survey or do a little deep dive into previous ones, where can they find out more? They can go to mother.ly and it's on kind of the navigation there, state of motherhood. They could just, you know, Google or search motherly state of motherhood and get directly there as well. You know, it's being shared kind of around the world right now, the data um, that's there. And so hopefully it'll pop up in other places in their feeds too. Yeah. And we'll link it in the show notes so everyone can click straight through and navigate to it. And I'd like to hear feedback and what really resonates with you. Make sure to send us in your feedback and your DMs if you want to poke more into any one of these areas as well in terms of the stats that emerged, let us know. And uh, maybe we'll knock on Jill's door again. You never know. So let us know your thoughts. Thank you so much, Jill. We appreciated having you here. Thank you, Erica. I'm so appreciative of Jill and everything that Motherly has done and continues to do to help moms. It's painfully clear that moms are struggling. The statistic revealed in the State of Motherhood survey that 46% of moms are currently seeking therapy and that mental health is their number one top concern are both big indicators of that struggle. But I'm also so glad that in the last few years, mental health has become more talked about, transparent, and less stigmatized. That gives me so much hope that we can get moms the help and support they need and start to break away from the unrealistic expectations placed on moms. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to revisit some of our other episodes about struggles for millennial moms and the need for support including episode 191 on managing mom anxiety with Dr. Lauren Cook 
and episode 153 on coping during postpartum with no family support. And if this episode particularly resonated with you, I'd love to know why. Send me a DM on Instagram or take a moment to leave a review and share your thoughts there. I want you to know that if your mental health is struggling, you are far from alone. So many moms out there need help and support. We all need help and support. We are meant to parent and live in community and in connection with others. And that's why I started MomWell, to help serve moms when they need it and how they need it with specialized therapy services. If you would like to book a free virtual consult with a mom therapist, head to momwell.com booking. That's momwell.com booking. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where we are pulling our final vault episode to recap some of the most popular shows of the year. And this one was called, Should I Have Another Baby? with mental health counselor, Kate McReynolds. This episode sparked the most conversation and discussion by far over any of the other episodes that we had this year. It was so clear that deciding whether or not to expand your family and really evaluating whether or not this is even a choice was such a pain point for many of you that you've thought about and wrestled with for a long time. So join me in revisiting our most popular episode, Should I Have Another Baby? I'll see you back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center to join the momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to mom well.